Jump is about changing the way that people move in cities, and it's also about changing the way that entire cities are built. What sets our bike apart from dock-based bike shares? The locking system and user interface are on the bike itself. And what that means is that you can find a bike using a mobile app, unlock that bike, and ride it anywhere in the city. Electric bikes are great, but they're very expensive and only owned by a small portion of the population. Riding a jump bike is like riding a normal bike, but with superpowers. This is a promotional video for Jump, which is Uber's last mile transportation company. Jump provides e-bikes and scooters in cities around the world. You see them on the street, you book them with your Uber app, and then you just hop on and ride to your destination. And these last mile transportation options are becoming popular. We've talked in the past about companies like Lime, Obikes, and of course consumer company Boosted, who are all trying to play in this last mile transportation space. Uber will unleash electric rideshare bicycles on Melbourne next month, promising to have learned from the miserable failure of the O-Bike. But just as the coronavirus struck, Jump were in the process of rolling out their e-bikes into the city of Melbourne, which is where we're based. So in this episode of Moonshot, we wanted to explore what's actually happening in the last mile transportation space right now. And not just the big guys like Jump who are aggressively pushing their technology into the market. We wanted to look at last mile transportation from both a public policy perspective and also a consumer perspective, looking at the small guys, the startups who are heading into that consumer technology space that Boosted once occupied. So today on Moonshot, what does the future of last mile transportation actually look like? Okay, I just want to uh, set some audio levels. Um, so, can you tell me what's the most interesting movie that you've seen recently? Oh, I'm not sure. Um, I uh, I don't know, but I've just been watching the new series of Endeavour on ABC iView. Is that enough? Do you want me yeah, to keep talking good. about it? That's good. Yeah, it's we're good. early March 2020, and I've made my way down to the Melbourne Town Hall, and I'm here to speak with this man. Can you introduce yourself and what you do? Hi, my name's Nick Francis Gilly, and I am the chair of the transport portfolio um, as a Melbourne City Councillor. Nick Francis Gilly is in charge of transportation in the city of Melbourne, and his portfolio covers the rollout of last mile transportation through the city. And in early 2020, it was announced that Uber were being allowed a one-year trial of 400 jump e-bikes, which would be available to people around Melbourne. And it's all part of a strategy to see cars removed from the centre of town, making it safer for people who live and work in the heart of our community. Yeah, I think the interesting thing about you know, why you do any particular thing is, is, is part of a bigger strategy. And I think the interesting thing for me, because I, you know, I, I came to this, I'm a politician by mistake. I've got 12 votes. I think I'm the least elected politician on the planet. Um, so I'm here by mistake. So I had no axe to grind. So I've learned about transport from the professionals. And what's really interesting about this city is, and it's probably true of most cities, is that we have got, we're growing, but we're growing rapidly, right? We're a million people in the city just under, and we're going to be at 1.5 in 10 years. So and, and the, the city was designed for, you know, a third of that. 
So we've got all these people walking around and 90% of our journeys are on foot. They're all walking around on small pavements. And, you know, as much as we try, we can't push the buildings back. You know, they're really resilient. They're there, stuck there. And you get more and more people. And when they're trying to cross the road on a corner, there literally isn't a space and they're spilling onto the road. So we've got to think about how do we change the city. And the way we're doing that is go, you prioritize the people that walk. You get people here by public transport or on a bicycle. And if you can do that, you can then diminish the amount of cars. And if you diminish the amount of cars, it's not just the road space they take, but it's all that parking space they take as well. And if we haven't got so many cars parking, we can double the amount of space for putting bicycles or walking. So it's that strategy that's going, so how do you increase the amount of people walking, coming by public transport and cycling? Well, in terms of getting people here by bicycle, you know, you create segregated bike paths and keep them safe. But for people who come here by public transport and then they want to get around in the city or they want to get to the inner suburbs or they want to go after work and go and watch a movie, how do you get them to do that simply? Well, jump bikes. You know, you actually create the opportunity for people to go, great, oh, I could get an Uber or, hey, why don't we all jump a bike together? The interesting thing about last mile transport in a city like Melbourne is that we already have a lot of public transport options. If you've never visited here before, what you'd find is a city that's built on a grid system, with many roads having trams flowing down them and a train network which circles the main precincts. It's easy to get around town already. So what value does a last mile transport solution like Jump even offer for a city like Melbourne? Yeah, I think in terms of the inner city, I think the, the last mile at home is different to the last mile in the inner city, right? And when you look at this inner city, we've got um, one of the largest tram uh, networks in the world. Um, one of the slowest too, as it happens. But um, we, you know, you've got these opportunities for moving around, but they tend to move in a grid. And so that's kind of okay, except that if you're not wanting to get across the grid, you want to go somewhere else, it doesn't really work. And then the city becomes quite big. So you want to get to the docklands, you want to go over the river. And, you know, so then what, what's the bit that means I can make that journey now, I can not worry about bringing my car here. Well, you know, all the rideshare stuff made that possible. Bike share is the, is the kind of slightly more granular element to that. And, and so it's, it became really important for us to go, okay, we've had dockless bikes. They didn't, uh, docked bikes, that didn't work so well. Dockless bikes we had without the e-bikes. We went through our O-bike experience of throwing them in the river and sticking them up trees. I think this is somewhere in the middle. It's, you know, I can wear a suit. I can get from one side of the city. It can be a 30-degree day. I'm using a battery. I'm not going to get hot and sweaty. It's not really upset my day you know I, I probably did it on a segregated bike path so I felt safe great it's a it's a really interesting element of what can make this city work effectively and allow it to grow now Melbourne has a mixed history with bike share schemes first we had a city run system of blue bikes that you could rent out and then ride around town the system was actually pretty cheap but it was a huge pain to use and in 2019, it was announced that the blue bikes would be removed because not enough people were even using them. And in 2017, O-bikes flooded the streets with their bike share scheme. It seemed like a great idea at the time, but suddenly O-bikes started piling up everywhere with vandals putting them in trees or throwing them into the river, angering the council and forcing the company to withdraw from the market in 2018. So how do we make sure that jump bikes don't end up going the same way as that O-bike solution. 
So there's, there's two bits to that question. One is the technology, why it's different. And I think the thing for me is, you know, I, I went on holiday to Oakland, I'm in California, I've got an Uber app, I can, I can actually get a, a, an Uber car in Oakland, I didn't have to change anything, I'm doing anything, you wasn't in Oakland, I, you know, I picked it up, I ordered it. As it happens, there was a scooter outside the house and I got out and I tapped my phone on the scooter and got on the scooter and drove off. Now, I, you know, it's like I didn't do a thing and I'm hiring a scooter in a country where I've never ridden a scooter before and I didn't do a single thing. So I think you're right, that comparison between the fixed bikes, the complexity of picking them up, it's got its own individual little scheme that only works in Melbourne, really complicated, you know, and, and, and a real impediment. But when we set those schemes up, none of this other stuff was going. We still had 8,000 car taxis, not 80,000, you know, so that's the difference, right? That's, that's significant. Um, I think the other, the other point was uh, how, how, do we, how do we avoid an obikes like situation where the people are just trashing these and la- leaving them everywhere art or cool yeah I, I think there's a real difference between these one is is that um the way they're geofenced and the way that you use them so i have some responsibility as a user about where i leave them and if i don't want to get fined and that goes straight on my credit card straight away 15 bucks if i leave it in the wrong place and if i leave it next to the river there's a 15 dollar charge so i've got to move it away from the river and put it in a geofenced space where it's okay so immediately now i've either got to if i want to throw this bike in the river i've now either got to pick up a bike and it's got a battery and it's an e-bike and it's heavy and i've now got to carry it down to the river that's a really different experience it's not parked in my way as i'm walking along the river so i just push it in that's a very different experience or i've got to take i've got to register it and if I register it and I drive it down to the river and I throw it in, then I know, you know, in this case, jump, know that you've done that. And so I think there's a real, there's a really different behavior. I think the other thing is, is that there aren't 5,000 of them arriving. There's hundreds. And those hundreds are only going to grow if they're actually being used. And the other thing is, because they're geofenced and because the battery's got to be charged every two days, they're supported by a team of this case, um, uh, of, of a company that's actually employing young people who were unemployed to give them an opportunity to get them skills. And they're charging the batteries, checking where they are and moving them to the right place. And that's happening every day or every two days, depending on what the app says the condition of the battery is. So literally, you've got this thing that's being touched and cared for and moved to the right place. It's creating fines if it's in the wrong place. It's a really different experience. I also think when you get on it, it's a real quality ride. You know, it's a, you know, I, I, I used the app before for road bikes. I got on a bike and bits are hanging off it and, you know, it didn't have a helmet. And, you know, it's just this works you know that comes with a helmet the helmet's locked with the bike when you unlock the bike you get the helmet you can take your own helmet and leave that helmet in the little pouch at the front of the bike it's designed to work i think i think it's going to be a really different experience these last mile systems whether it's bikes or you know we've seen scooters rolled out um in other locations around the world but there does seem to be this constant um challenge of dealing with dealing with how many bikes do you have in the city and where do you allow these bikes to be put so that it's convenient but it isn't in the road of of everyone and it seems to be this constant battle that that cities globally are, are struggling with and then you also want to enable competition in in those spaces so like do you envisage there being other providers um in the city of melbourne that that offer the same service um 
I think it's early days and for us at the moment we're saying we're going to try this and we chose one company so we put out expressions of interest we chose the jump uber um the, the jump bike with the uber app you know that's what we chose um so we don't envisage others coming until such time as we've gone this is this this works um we may go to the point where we look at other councils around and say actually there is space for two or three to play in this in in the space i think i think the thing is we have to think it, it's a really interesting analogy. It's got nothing to do with um, waste trucks in the city. There are about 20 different waste companies that come in to pick up people's waste. And most of it's down back alleys. So that means if you're living in the city, which lots of people do, and your building's over an, you know, your building's over an alley, during the day or night, 20 waste trucks may or may not come down that track to pick up different people's bins. Now, in terms of emissions, it's ridiculous. In terms of noise, it's ridiculous. In terms of efficiency, it's ridiculous. In terms of recycling, it's ridiculous. You could have had four different vehicles, at least one picking up, you know, bottles, one picking up paper, one big, you know, this just doesn't work. But it's free and it's competitive. So we've got to try and think about, and we're trying to retrofit now, how do you create a space where lots of people can compete and win bids and do things, but that don't have 20 great big heavy vehicles that don't smell very nice, making a lot of noise all day, every day, and not have anti-competitive behavior. So I think what we're trying to do with the bike is to say, well, first of all, learn up front, have a look and see what it looks like, work out what the numbers are, see whether that's gonna, you're gonna get a better service with one, two or three, and you don't necessarily need to have three all at the same time. You can just turn around and say, right, you can get this service for three years, and then we're gonna put it out for tender after three years, and you know, so great, you know, Jump may win here, and O-Bike win somewhere else, and you know, it, it doesn't, it, Lime wins somewhere, it, it doesn't matter who wins. What matters is they're having these opportunities to come and excel, and they want to excel, because they want to be back there again in three years' time. Now, since the COVID-19 crisis, Uber has been forced to withdraw all of their jump bikes from Australia and New Zealand, and the rollout will be paused until the crisis ends. We did ask Uber to be part of this story, however they declined, but in a statement said, We have been very encouraged with how these e-bikes have been embraced so far in this trial and are looking forward to getting back on the road when the time is right. But given everything that's happening with coronavirus right now, I'd imagine that's going to be a fair way down the road. And coming up after this break, we speak to a company that is trying to step into the void that Boosted left behind. March 2020, as we reported on this show, Boosted, the company that makes electric skateboards for consumers, sacked the majority of their staff. The company's assets have now been acquired by Lime, a competitor to jump in the last mile as a service category. But there are other startups looking to fill the void that will be left by Boosted's demise. And one of those is Melbourne-based startup, Rain. 
So it's kind of like the Apple of scooters or, you know, the Nike of scooters or, you know, something like that. So we really went for that, like that higher end price point. Um, one, because we like to build really cool stuff and we like to build the best of whatever we make. Uh, but also there are so many scooters already in that lower bracket that um, you, you can buy if you want, um, if you if that's your price point. So we wanted to build something that was premium and cool and people really wanted. I'm Mish Manners or Michelle Mannering. I'm one of the co-founders of Rain Scooters. Yeah, so it's a high-powered smart electric scooter. So if you look at some of the other scooters out there on the market, ours we've built to be more stylish, more personal, more secure, faster speeds, better range, better power. Uh, but also a key difference for us is that you know, we actually sell direct to the customer. So this isn't a ride sharing app type thing. This is like for people to own. Um, and we just really wanted to build something that people could have fun on and actually be excited to get up every single day and go to work or go to sport or go to coffee meetings. Um, yeah, it's a bit hard at the moment with the coronavirus, but <laughs> we still wanted people to have that kind of experience instead of rolling out of bed and going, oh, I've got to deal with traffic this morning or public transport or, you know, not be able to find a park. We just really want to, you know, bring that extra bit of fun and excitement to people's lives. The Rain Electric Scooter is clearly playing in the same market that Boosted's e-scooter was in. That is the premium market tier. Rain offers speeds of up to 50 kilometres per hour and a range of up to 40 kilometres. It also has other safety features like ABS braking and dual suspension. The team are even thinking about security, including a retractable smart lock and even an immobiliser to stop people from stealing your ride. So we started the, um, working on this kind of design stuff back in 2018, so January 2018. And then we had basically fully built the prototype and designed it by August that year. So it was a relatively quick time frame in terms of like building, iterating and designing. Um, we're all, obviously always making little tweaks here and there, especially since our Kickstarter campaign, just listening what people wanted. Um, but the biggest thing that took the longest was actually the patents. Um, so because, so if you patent something that's software, it's really, it's much easier to patent because it's all in the back end of the code. No one can see it. So you can put the software out there and then patent it later. But on the scooter, we were patenting, um, like we've got a few different patents, but some of the patents are around the design of the scooter and you can't patent something once it's in the public eye. So we couldn't actually share or show any images or anything with our scooter while it was all undergoing um, the patent applications until they were filed. So that was the bit that actually took the longest. So it wasn't until like the following year that we were even able to start showing off some images and that. Um, so that's that's interesting to note. So when you're working with hardware, it's you know the patents can be um, a little more challenging. And then in terms of actually building and prototyping we've all done hardware startups in the past so for us we knew um basically for one of a better word the corners to cut because we knew the manufacturers we could go to we knew where we could get um parts made we knew uh, what kind of programs and software to use we knew what kind of partners to use um so that for us was very much fast-tracked and yeah so that's kind of the 
journey of the scooter, if you will. (laughs) Rain launched a Kickstarter in November of 2019, and in just 43 minutes, they'd hit their $50,000 funding goal. They ended up raising $438,000 from their Kickstarter and also secured an investment of $500,000 Australian dollars from Blackbird Ventures. And that might sound like a lot of money for a company that hasn't delivered a product, but we've all heard of Kickstarter projects which fail because they run out of cash. Because making hardware is time intensive and it's incredibly expensive. So it's no wonder that Rain wanted to get enough cash to make sure that they delivered on their promises. So how far away is Rain from actually shipping a scooter? Yep, well, this is very interesting times for us and the rest of the world with the coronavirus happening. Um, So we set up all our manufacturing and hardware partners prior to the campaign um, because we had that funding behind us and that knowledge and experience behind us that we wanted to have things ready so that we could deliver product in a much shorter time frame than what are like many other Kickstarters. Like we didn't want customers putting down, um, you know, a relatively large chunk of money and then having to wait 12 months for it. Um, so our delivery time frame was originally May. That's been pushed out a little bit, um, as you probably know. We've got um, manufacturing partners and factory in China, so everything got shut down over the coronavirus. So it wasn't that things went slower it literally came to a halt (laughs) Um, like literally every other company in the world so um, yeah we've got some challenges um, unlike some like the software companies Um, so we've got challenges around um, sourcing and parts but we're still working very closely with our factory in China Um, we've had to do everything virtually now so we're doing you know the final production pieces virtually which is um I would say a little bit of a challenge. It's also not ideal. Like it's much better to, you know, go there and oversee everything, which is what we usually do. You want to physically see the the products um, to make sure that it's exactly how it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. And to work with our people as well. I mean, we were lucky enough that we did um, between us uh, three or four trips to China and to visit our factory and um, catch up with our partners um, prior to um, the coronavirus so we luckily had that um, already done but I mean it's it's always, it's been a little bit of a challenge you talk to anyone in hardware and manufacturing at the moment literally every single major company so we've got our campaign that those customers um, will get their scooters first and um, we are constantly putting out updates and communicating with those customers uh, via our Kickstarter page our Facebook page our emails um, so that's our biggest thing it's keeping everyone updated um, and communicating with everyone and then we've also got our um, pre-sales open on our website which we're still seeing sales come through um, which is amazing we're not really pushing hard on marketing at this particular point of time so it just shows you that people are you know re- very responsive to our um, communication I think that's one of the big key things in any kind of um, mini crisis or crisis situation or any kind of situation that you communicate with your customers and you and your stakeholders and you put them at front of mind and you know just keep them up to date on everything that's happening that's what we're doing the ironic thing with rain is that the company has developed their product in melbourne a city where electric scooters and skateboards are banned in fact if you're caught riding one on public roads or footpaths anywhere in the state of Victoria it can come with an $826 fine 
And Councillor Nick Francis Gilly from the City of Melbourne agrees with these rules, and he has no desire to see these restrictions lifted, because he feels that electric scooters are just too dangerous. Yeah, I, I think I've... Um, so I've got to say, I loved having my go in, uh, in, in, in Oakland on the scooter. It was really fun going around the lake. Um, I have, a, I do have a problem with. I mean, so, so that we don't, we have a policy that actually says there's a problem with scooters, which is they tend to be used on the pavement, and if they're used on the pavement, they can't go. They they go 25, 30 k's, but you're not allowed to be on the pavement and do more than 10. So that that's a problem, right? So kids on a push bike going less than 10, they can be on the pavement, but otherwise, get off and get on the road. The trouble with a scooter on the road is that you've now got a scooter on the road and. It's going at a speed in amongst other vehicles without a lot of protection. So I know some people say, well, there's no more protection than a bicycle. That's actually not the case. If I'm in the middle of a bike, I've got a wheel in front of me and a wheel behind. If I hit the brakes, the vehicle, I'm stopping, bet- my, my center of gravity is between two wheels, both with brakes on. If I'm on a scooter and I stop the brakes and I lean on the bar, there is nothing in front of me. I'm going to go straight over the bar and hit the thing that I'm trying to stop. And so there's a real difference in terms of safety and the way they work. Now, that's not to say they're not fun or cool or I have another go. It's to say that if you're thinking about having tens of thousands, of, which we have, we've got you know hundreds of thousands of people in this city every day, 900,000. If you're trying to manage that, having people in a space that are moving really fast in the traffic where they can't actually safeguard themselves from being under something is, I think, a significant health risk. And so until we can manage that, and I'm only a politician, right? I'm, so I, you know, I'm only one of, 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 of um, 13 politicians. But my view is until we know how that works and how you can do that safely, I would be really reluctant to put that in the mix. Now, when we've got segregated bike paths and then when we've got clear spaces, is there space then to say in the inner city, you want to use one of those? Great, because it's easy to put on a train. You can have it over your shoulder, get out, do your last mile on your own scooter. Maybe it's an important part of the mix. I just don't think right now we can safeguard those people and we have got the infrastructure to look after them or the others that they might impact. But I guess if people were riding their own vehicles, shouldn't some of that just be on them as individuals to like safeguard themselves and their own safety and not like ride outside their own means and their own ability to stop? Because we've, you know, you mentioned bicycles. I mean, bicycles can you know, travel 40 or even 60 kilometers an hour and depending on, you know, where they're, where someone's riding or even, even higher speeds than that with e-scooters, we're talking about, you know, speeds significantly less than what a bicycle could travel. So wouldn't it make sense just to have them in the same spaces as bicycles could, could travel? Yeah, I, I think, I think I've, yes. And though, you don't have the same controls you have on a bicycle. If you brake hard, you go over the... T- There's nothing stopping you. You can't press on the handlebars. If I put on my front brake on a push bike, I drive a push bike, if I hit the front brake, it'll take all my weight. I won't go over the front. You know, it will stop me. If I am doing 30 k's down, down, um, down this street and somebody with a phone steps out into the bike path and isn't looking, on a bike I can stop. And I'm not going to go flying through the air and hit that person. If I'm coming down there on a scooter and that person steps out, it's their responsibility, right? But they step out, I'm hitting them and there's no way we're going to not stop. 
And I think it's that that we're concerned about. Now, I, 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 I think I'm not saying never. I'm saying let's know that we've got safe spaces where they are. Let's understand how they're working. And let's, you know, let, so let's come at it bit by bit. And at the moment, actually, the state rules don't allow for scooters to play. I actually think that's fine. I think we need to work out something. You know, we tried something with O-Bikes. It didn't work well. I think we've got a much better scheme now here with Jump Bikes. Let's see how that goes. Do I think it's likely that e-scooters might be part of the mix in the future? Yes. Am I, in a, am I personally in a hurry to see that here? No, I'm not. I actually think we need time. And I, need, I do think we need safe spaces where people are used to going, hey, there's going to be a fast bike coming down here. I'm used to it. That's the way cities work. Oh, and there might be a scooter in it. Then we give the scooter people a chance and others. I just don't, I just think if you do it all at the same time, people are going to get hurt. And I, you know, there's this thing about nanny states. And I, I honestly, I would, I'm one of those people that would probably ride a mitre bike without a helmet. You know, I'm, you know, but actually we have some rules and it keeps people alive. And as somebody on New Year's Eve on my farm who came off his motorbike, going about 60 Ks through a field and had the helmet on that day, which sometimes I don't because it's private land, I would be dead if I didn't. I absolutely would be dead. Now, you know, with a, with a, as a guy with a few kids that I'd really like to see growing up, you know, I get the value. And I think in the cities where you've got that many people, you really do have to manage that. You know, we, we do have to go, oh, not, it's not a free-for-all and we're just going to trust that everybody's going to take responsibility. They don't. It's the number one thing. When people go, I don't want it on there because uh, I just don't want them running into pedestrians. It's like, but no one's running into pedestrians. Like, look at where you, like, where the scooters are riding. We're riding in bike lanes. We're riding alongside bikes. We go about the same speed or less than a bike often I ride and there's a bike that goes past me. So everyone's like, oh, pedestrian safety. It's like, well, if you're thinking about pedestrian safety, get rid of all the bikes on the road and remove all the cars off the road. You know, like they are way more dangerous, if you want, than um, scooters. And so I think that people have got this misconception that, oh, if people are going to be riding scooters, they'll be riding them all over the footpaths, which is not where we say scooters should be ridden. Like, so when we lobby and we talk about scooters, we say, look, they should be ridden wherever a bike is ride, was ridden. So if there's a bike lane, you ride in the bike lane. If there's a dual passageway with um, pedestrians and bikes, then you ride there and you adhere to the same rules as you would on a bike, which is slow down when there's pedestrians around. Um, you only overtake by indicating and, you know, signaling to those around you and you don't go more than, I think it's 10Ks in a um, shared footpath um, way. But people just don't, like, they just say, oh, it's, it's, you know, it's unsafe. It's like, but have you ever tried riding a scooter yourself or seen anyone else riding a scooter? The other thing is people don't realise, uh, especially the people in the government that are ones like putting the big red stamp on do not do this, is they're not thinking about the broader picture. So if you're thinking about um, Melbourne being the most livable city or now the second most livable city in the world um, and being, you know, a hotspot for um, urban mobility, why are you trying to ban something that helps unlock the city's potential? I can get from one end of the city to the other on an electric scooter in six minutes flat. There is no way I can do that on a tram. There's no way I can do that on an Uber. There is no way I can do that um, in a car or even walking. Yes, I can do that on a bike. So it goes about the same speed as a bike. So yes, I can do that on a bike, but it's just way less convenient because if I'm going to do it on a bike, I'm going to be sweaty 
and gross. And so if I'm going to a meeting, I don't want that happening. Also, I have to worry about where I'm locking my bike and putting it and I can't just like take it with me. The other thing that we say when people say, oh, you know, it, you know we don't want scooters and it's unsafe. It's like, what about all the cars on the road? You know, are you trying to say that any alternative to um, driving is bad because the way we see it is we've got massive problems around transport and congestion and this is one way to remove a lot of that because if you had scooters then people aren't necessarily going to be driving into the city and even if they're coming from the suburbs they can now park two three k's out of the city and ride the scooter in the last mile which means you're not getting a heap of um, cars on the road which means yes you can actually shut down more streets in the city to um to car traffic we could shut all the cbd down um, for most vehicles and just have you know taxis um, emergency services and scooters and bikes which is you know for me i'm like well that's way safer isn't it because we don't have cars driving everywhere you know cars trying to plow down pedestrians which is you know what's happened a couple of times so i think there's a lot of potential that people are being close-minded when they say oh we shouldn't have you know scooters on the road because they're unsafe like it's kind of like yes it's it's a new thing we understand yes you do not understand it and you don't understand how it is safe like it's safer than riding a bike in a lot of situations so that that's where we're at and we're doing as much as we can to show that Moonshot is a production of Lawson Media and it's hosted by me, Christopher Lawson. Music in this episode from Breakmaster Cylinder and our artwork comes from Andrew Millist. If you want to check out previous episodes of the show, head across to our website, moonshot.audio. And if you want to get your hands on some great Moonshot merchandise, just head to podmerch.co. We'll put a link in the show notes. And don't forget, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Moonshot Pod. And I'm at Christopher Lawson. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks for listening.